But today the title of the message is this, don't drift. Don't drift. It should be an encouraging message to us to stay focused and to stay on course. The imagery that is given in Hebrews chapter 2, and we'll read a big portion of it in a few minutes, but the, the biggest idea there is if you are a boat that you should not drift off course. You are heading to a destination. So if you're heading to that destination and you drift off course, then you will not reach that destination. And so the writer of Hebrews has some great encouragement for us. So go with me to Hebrews chapter 2, and we'll begin in verse 1. It says this, therefore we must pay much closer, everybody say much closer, attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. Verse 4 says, While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles, and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So, I don't know if you've ever had to deal with kids or grandkids, and you've had to say these words, Pay attention. (laughs) Uh, Maybe you've dealt with your spouse. Please pay attention, okay? Um, Not just pay attention, but pay much closer attention, the Bible says there in verse 1, to what we have heard. The writer of Hebrews is saying, essentially, by the time they've gotten this letter, he wants them to understand not only what has happened before, but he wants them to have it sealed in their heart and to truly keep it close to them and pay close attention. Over the years, many have drifted away, and many today are drifting too. This message that's written in Hebrews and the message I preach today about don't drift is not for the world outside. This message is for you and for I. This message was originally intended for those who were Jews that became Christians that were spread throughout uh, the known world at that time and they would receive this letter and read it. And so the encouragement for their, for them then is the same encouragement for us now that we are to pay close or even closer attention to what we have heard through the message of God's word. So um, I think about it like this, and I think men can grasp this thought in the room today. Uh, if you've ever built something and you had some leftover parts, can you just raise your hand? I'm not the only one. Okay, good. So uh, the idea is following the instructions or paying close attention. If we have extra parts left over, what ends up happening is, yes, probably lasted, it was durable and got your stamp of approval, but you actually sacrifice the integrity of the project if you don't pay close attention to what you're doing with the instructions. So the writer of Hebrews is clearly warning them and us about the potential to drift. The Bible says there in verse 3, it says this, that how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? There is no escape, essentially. 
if we neglect our salvation and drift from the truth. So the message of salvation there in this verse, in verse 3, it was declared at first by the Lord, and we'll find out all throughout Hebrews, God's word reinforces what happened in the past, that God gave a promise to a man named Abram, and changed his name and said, out of him, many, uh, every nation would be blessed. And that someday in his line, that someone would come to redeem their people, the people of God. So it was declared by the Lord. And then it says it was attested to us by those who heard. Um, I don't want to preach against gossip today. But let me just say this. If you've heard something secondhand, by the time you turn around and give it out, it's now third hand. You were not an eyewitness to it. Therefore, you should not be talking about it. And so I think that this is really important here that this was not some gossip line that a bunch of people just, oh, hey, yeah, I think blah, blah, blah. And then they passed along a message. The writer of Hebrews is telling us that people who were there that day, the day Jesus was born, they were there that day when he healed the blind. They were there that day when he fed 5,000 plus some. They were there that day when he walked on water. They were there that day when he was crucified. They arrived at an empty tomb when he was not there. Amen? And so these people's eyewitness accounts are very important to the to the story of what we call the gospel or the good news. It says this in verse 4, And God himself bore witness to it, and he did so through signs and wonders. That's Old Testament and New Testament. Jesus himself through various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Now, I don't know about you, but there are many people that actually think that the Holy Spirit is an invention of God that showed up after Jesus left. It is not true. The Holy Spirit was present at creation. It was by the Spirit of God, the Bible says, that the prophets prophesied. And check this out. Talking about men with instructions and projects. Actually, you can find evidence in the Old Testament that it says that God, through the Holy Spirit, gifted the tradesmen to know how to build, how to work with metal, how to work. The Holy Spirit did that. It's pretty, pretty awesome to think about. So the gifts of the Holy Spirit that have been distributed all throughout history according to his will. But let me ask you this. Think about the thought, what really is neglect? The definition for neglect is it's a failure to care for properly. Let me give you three quick examples of what neglect looks like. Uh, I would encourage you, because I've learned the hard way, don't neglect the routine maintenance for your car. Okay? If there's a noise, you should get it checked out. If there's a pull, you should get it checked out. Don't neglect that stuff. Your oil, ladies, in case your husband hasn't told you, it's supposed to be done every three to 5,000 miles. If you don't get it done on a proper timeline, then bad things happen that are not just easy fixes, but they can really get complicated. Um, So the damage can be done. The The other example of neglect would be about a spouse. This is something that, I thought of this week. 
The same principle of neglect applies to our spouses. So we should not neglect them because we will harm them. But it's proven to be true. We actually harm ourselves in the process too. So don't neglect time with your spouse. Uh, giving, Showing them love the way that they understand love. Um, we did a series a couple years ago, Amy and I, and I really enjoyed that. We might redo that series again about love and respect and the love languages. Um, I think that was meaningful for many of us. The third uh, quick example of neglect would be maltreatment of kids. Now this one, there's a special place in a bad place for people that mistreat kids. I really believe that with all of my heart. Um, and I did a little study quickly on some statistics of neglect for children. And listen to this. It says, in 2015, children's advocacy centers in the U.S. alone served more than 311,000 child victims of abuse. That's just those that got reported and got uh, some help through a child's advocacy center. In the same year, an estimated 1,670 children in the U.S. died from abuse and neglect because they were not properly taken care of and or they were abused in the process. Over 1,600, almost 1,700 children simply because someone failed to properly take care of them. So let me ask you this question. Why would someone neglect so great a salvation? If the Bible is clearly saying, the writer in Hebrews is telling us, don't neglect such a great salvation, yet many times we see believers in our life, and we have been guilty of it ourselves, where we have neglected this great salvation that God has given to us. And here's what I think the answer to that is, is I think that people have deprioritized their spiritual life, and their health. Um, It's not that you woke up one day and just said, I don't care anything about God, anything about his plans for me, anything about what his word says for me. But there's a slippery slope that we fall down because we are deprioritizing our spiritual life. And neglecting your salvation is detrimental to your spiritual health. Just like we talk about a car, a spouse, a child. Just like we talk about those things, we cannot neglect this, our spiritual life. And daily devotion to the Lord is more important than any other task you've been given in this life. It's more important than the job that pays you. It's more important than the spouse that married you. It's more important than all of those things, your daily devotion to Christ. So we've got to discipline ourselves to remain committed. And I really, I think that there are some encouragers in our church that need to be encouraging all of us more often to stay focused, to stay disciplined, to stay in the word. Um, That's a good thing for us to do. For Old Testament Jews, they were not to forsake the law. So you've got to understand, if you're a Jew who's now becoming a Christian, you're reading this and it says, don't neglect your salvation. They are remembering very clearly that they would not, they were not supposed to neglect the law that was established for them in the Old Testament. But the truth is the law could not save. 
It was not eternal. You need to understand this. It was not the sacrifice for sin that was required. In fact, later on in Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews essentially says, you can kill every cow, every dove, and every lamb in the entire world, and it still wouldn't redeem a single person's sin. That's, that's my paraphrase, but that's the point that he gets to later on in Hebrews, that this, the law couldn't save and it wasn't a sacrifice for sin. Only an eternal being could bring the salvation that we needed. One who could die could succeed in appeasing God and meeting all of the requirements, fulfilling the covenants and guaranteeing eternal life for all humanity. This is why God had to become man in Jesus Christ. This is a cornerstone of our faith, but I want to cement it or make sure that it's shored up in our minds. The first main point of chapter two is number one, don't neglect your salvation. Let's read verse five and verse nine. It says this, for it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come of which we are speaking. Then jump to verse nine. It says, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. And I'm so thankful that he has, but there's something sneaky in that verse. It says that suffering brought grace. I would just like grace, no suffering today. If we're walking to a buffet line and you get to pick what you want to eat, then you would, not nine times out of ten, 100 times out of ten, you would pick grace over suffering. But there's something significant that we need to understand about what Jesus endured for us. So the main point, the second main point is this, that Jesus became a man in order to redeem mankind. The incarnation, that that is God becoming man, is essential to our redemption, to our story. Christ was the fulfillment of the law and he's the perfect image of the mind and will of God. But he had to become human so that he could live, experience life as we have it, that he could die and then rise again, defeating death in order to make salvation for us possible. And if he wasn't mortal, he couldn't accomplish this. And if he didn't die, he couldn't be raised from the dead and defeat the final um, enemy, which is death for all of us. So... God became a man so that every human who seeks forgiveness could be forgiven. And more than that, so that those who choose to be forgiven would then be accepted and adopted into the family of God. I love the fact that God is a family man. He always has been from the beginning of time when he instituted the family He has always been all about having a family. And when we believe in him, when we accept his forgiveness, and when we repent from our sins, the Bible says that we become his children. This is awesome. 
There are other religions in the world that believe in something called reincarnation. I don't know about you, but I don't want to come back as a roach. <laughs> I don't want to come back as a possum that gets hit on the road. I don't want to come back as the president of any country or nation. I, don't, I just want to live the life that God has given me right now and give him glory for it while I'm here. And when I reach my destination, if I haven't drifted from my salvation, if I haven't neglected that, then I will reach the eternal destination that he has for me. And that is for him and all of his family to be together forever. It's just awesome. Look, look down at verse 14 through 18. We'll cover a couple things there. Verse 14 says this, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Verse 16, for surely it's not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make this big word, which really means appease or please God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people, to redeem the people. Look at what it says in verse 18. For because he himself has suffered when tempted. There's suffering again. Now it's relatable to temptation. It was also related to grace. But he suffered when tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. How many of you have ever been tempted? All of us that are awake and alive today. We've all been tempted. I want to point out a few things that I think are important here for our faith. I think they're encouragements to us. In the first part, in verse 14, it talks about children sharing in flesh and blood. And I thought about this in the natural world, like it or not, your children bear your resemblance, right? They bear the resemblance of the biological parents that contributed to them being here on the earth. And I believe the same thing is true in the spiritual world that God's children bear his resemblance. Amen. And they should. Jesus came to participate in our pain, in our suffering, in our temptations, in our conflicts, in our sorrows. The Bible says his brothers, his natural brothers, which that might be earth shattering news to some of you, but he had human brothers that Joseph and Mary had after. It says that some of them didn't even believe he was who he said he was. He was betrayed by a man named Judas. There were, shall we call them red light district women that came to hang out and around They were spiritually hungry, but I'm sure the temptation of the natural flesh was there for Jesus as well. 
There was a temptation when he hired on, not really for pay, but when he got a hold of a tax collector named Matthew and said, hey, come work with me, be my disciple. There was money exchanging hands. There would have been a temptation for that. There's a temptation for relationships. There's a temptation for power. When he stands before Pilate, he's got all of these things that he's endured temptations just like you and I. Conflicts like you and I. The infighting of his friends. The inf- I mean, sorrow. He's leaving his mother behind. The mother who raised him, he is leaving her behind. There has to be sorrow in his heart. He's endured all of those things. But here's the point. He had to die in order to defeat the one who had the power of death. And so we have to look at that and understand that is the final victory and he has already accomplished it. Praise Praise God. Verse 16 is really important. This is main point number three. God is our helper. I just love this. It says this, for surely it's not the angels that he helps, but the offspring of Abraham. This is powerful. Now, I don't know where your mind goes sometimes when you read scripture, but I know I've had questions from people in churches as well as some of my students, and some of them are wild and crazy, and they've got even wild and crazy answers that go along with them. But something I need to point out to you here, just to help anyone who's ever had this thought, you may have thought about the rebellion that's happened in heaven before and wonder, what's stopping that from happening again? What about the angels that fell? Can they repent and turn back from the sin that they committed? The point is this, there's no scriptural evidence anywhere that says that angels can repent or do anything over again. They have been judged the way that they have been judged. And although we don't know the mind of God and every detail about his creation, they are supernatural creatures. And there's no evidence throughout scripture that they can be redeemed. The real point is this, they're supernatural eternal beings, but they were created by God and we are different than them because we've been created in his image. They were not created in the image of God. God did not become an angel to save the angels. So you got got to just chew on that for a little bit. God did not do that. God became a man in order to redeem human, humankind, mankind. We're the ones God helps. Man, This verse alone blesses me and has blessed me all week. God is my helper. I love the Psalms. You can pick any one of them, play roulette and just put your finger there. Any one of them will most likely say, God, you're my refuge and my strength in a time of trouble. You're the tower I run into when I'm afraid. David was running for his life because he was being chased. And he's writing these Psalms to the Lord saying, God, I look to the hills from where my help comes from. My help comes from the Lord. So God, to this day, is still helping his spiritual offspring, Abraham's spiritual offspring. That's you and I. And that's a good thing. Number four is found in verse 17. And that is this. Jesus is our mediator. 
An easy way to think about this would be he is the middleman or the go-between. But he's not the middleman as in like a mafia movie that takes a slice of the profit. He's the go-between that helps us understand God in a new way. He's the one who mediates the covenant for us. The only way this all works is that if we have confidence to know that Jesus was a historically supernatural figure who became one of us. That's, this is the point of what we sang earlier in the songs. That God became one of us so that he would experience everything we experience. And there's a point to that that comes in the next verse, in verse 18. But before I go there, let me say this. The Old Testament priests, think about it like this, were mediators between God and man. They heard from God, they spoke to the people. They heard from the people, they spoke to God. And they went back and forth in between. Now Jesus, who can live with you daily, is the mediator that you need. You don't need me to pray for you. This is great. It would keep me really busy. I mean, I do pray for you. But like every time you needed something from God, you wouldn't have to come show up to me. Back then you would. But now you don't. Because Jesus is our mediator. God in human flesh became the perfect mediator between God and man. Verse 18, number five says this, Jesus empathizes with us. If you know me, I find it hard to have um, copious amounts of compassion, sympathy, or empathy. Um, it's just not one of my giftings. I joke when I go to kids camp and I say that God gave me an ounce of sympathy and I used it years ago and it has never been replenished. You know, when they're like, oh, I got a boo-boo. I'm like, go see the nurse. Fine. Roll my eyes. You know, try to not be that guy. But that's just, that's who I am and the Lord's working on me. This is awesome though. Jesus empathized with us. Look at what it says in verse 18. He has been tempted in every way, just as you are, yet he lived without sinning. This is awesome. He's able to help those who are being tempted. Later on in chapter 4, verse 15, it says that Jesus Christ has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet lived a sinless life. This is awesome. The God that we serve empathizes with us. He's not remote He's not detached. He's not disinterested. He's not some far off being that is unattainable or unreachable. He's not insulated from your problems or isolated from your day. He knows the problems that you face. He knows what you're going through. He can completely understand what you're going through. And this should give you comfort. This is like... Amy said earlier during worship that sometimes we need to get that transition from here to here and we need to, we need to tell ourselves. I love David. He says that in the Psalms. He says, I tell myself rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Like I'm talking to myself like, Hey, we've pull your stuff together. here. God is in control. And maybe you need that in the season that you're facing in the job transition or the selling of house or the conflict at work or whatever the case may be. Here's the whole idea. Jesus knows what you're going through and he's been 
through similar things. So he empathizes with us. He understands what we're going through. These five points are really important to you. They're important to each one of us. They should be. Jesus became a man to redeem mankind. That gift is still available today. That God is our helper. That Jesus is our go-between. And that, that he is with us and empathizes and knows exactly what we're going through. My challenge to you today is this. In light of all those things, don't drift. Don't neglect this great salvation that you've been given. I'm not here to browbeat you and tell you that you're a horrible Christian. I'm here to encourage you to be a better Christian. And through this message, I want to become a better Christian, a better believer, one that does not drift, that makes time on the daily for God to speak to me, not for me to just give him my honeydew list and tell him the things are, you know, rub the lantern and hope the genie appears and give me the three wishes that I need today. I've tried it. It doesn't work. God answers, but he doesn't always answer in the way that you want, in the time that you want. But he's still worth trusting because he sent his only begotten son for you and for me. So would you stand with me today? I want to give you some instructions that I think will be helpful in this moment of just quiet reflection and prayer. You can stay in your seats. We're not going to uh, offer to pray for people right now at this moment. If you need prayer, see myself or Meg at the end of service, and we'd be happy to pray for you if you have something going on in your life. But right now, I just, I want it to be a little bit different because if you've neglected your salvation, if you feel like you've drifted, if you're on that boat and you've lost your setting or your course, the first thing you've got to do is repent. And repentance really is just turning away and going back to God. So if you say, you know what, pastor, I'm guilty. No, it's not just been a couple days. It's been a couple seasons. It's been a couple years that I have neglected this great salvation. Will God take me back? The answer is absolutely he will. Will he help you stay on course starting today? Absolutely he will. He'll give you that fresh start, but you've got to come with a willing heart that says, God, I'm sorry for the stuff that I've done. I'm sorry for neglecting you in my daily life. And I pledge with your help to move forward in the right direction. But the second thing is this, if you're here today and if you have never repented of your sins, you've never received such a great salvation which is this salvation that Jesus offers, God sending his son to redeem you and free you from the bondage of sin in your life, then I want to give you that chance right now. So I'd like everyone to close their eyes, if you would, just in this private moment. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, I, I walked away from the Lord years ago, or I've never walked to him. I've never really truly accepted him into my life, but I'd like to do that today. You can just slip up your hand right now, wherever you are. If there's anyone here, we want to pray with you. I'll give you just a moment to respond. Knowing that you can do this anywhere at any time. It doesn't have to be in church, but we sure are grateful and thankful to know that you've become a believer. 
with no hands being raised during that, I want to encourage the believers that are here to just repent before the Lord today in this song, during this time that they sing, and just make a private place of prayer where you are and say, Lord, help me. Give me the strength I need. Maybe it's the strength you need to trust him, to be your helper, to be your mediator, to get you through whatever it is you're going through. God, I pray by your Holy Spirit that you would convict us today. Help us to realize the encouragement from Hebrews chapter 2 that you are a good God, so good that you sent your only son on our behalf. Father, help us to live like it. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus, be the center of it all. Jesus, at the center of it all. From beginning to the end, it will always be, it's always been you, Jesus. Sing that with me. Jesus at the center of it all. Jesus at the center of it all. From beginning to 